Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm happy that you're joining me this weekend. Uh, We are starting a series actually taken from the pericope or the readings of the church year, Uh, all coming from the book of Matthew. And so in the coming weeks, six to eight weeks, uh, we are going to look at the continuing account of Matthew, the eyewitness account of Jesus' life, ministry. Um, And today is our first text from that, where Jesus specifically is going to be talking about this concept of accountability, which I think is incredibly practical and incredibly important for us as believers within the church, Um, that, that concept that we are, in fact, accountable to one another for what we do and what we don't do. Uh, No place is that maybe more important than if you are a sailor on a ship. Now, uh, I know not all of us are sailors on a ship. I always make the joke that all of my ancestors must have been farmers because if I put one foot on a boat or a ship of any kind, I start to get sick. Um, And so many of you maybe aren't sailors, but I do know we have some within our congregation uh, that are veterans of the Navy. I also know we have others that that actually worked on ships in Chicago. And so uh, we have people within our church that have been sailors. But I I think on some level we understand even if you have never sailed on a ship of any size, I think we understand and can understand how important accountability is when you are in the harsh environment of the ocean with a handful of people. In fact, the communication and the accountability that has to happen on a ship in order for that ship to just survive is through the roof. And so when you talk about the crew of a ship, they have to be cohesive. They have to be willing to work with one another. And what's interesting is they also have to be willing to be accountable for the safety of everybody that's on board. That is absolutely true. Um, And and, um, the crew of the Edward Bolin in 1909 found that out to be true in a disastrous way. Uh, As you know, um, if a crew doesn't work together, really bad things can happen. The crew of the Edward Bolin found that out in 1909. They were on on a trip south on the western coast of Africa. They were headed to Table Bay, which is in South Africa, and they were passing past the coast off of Namibia. So uh, Namibia is a beautiful country uh, and and it's an incredible country. In fact, I know some people from Namibia and they are incredible, beautiful people. But the coast of Namibia has kind of an ominous nickname. It's called the Skeleton Coast. Yeah, so if you're sailing south and you're going past a place called the Skeleton Coast, you probably want to pay attention. Because it got that nickname for a reason. And so uh, the sailors on the ship of the Edward Bolin in 1909 were headed south past the Skeleton Coast when sure enough, what regularly happened off that coast happened to them. A super heavy fog moved in. They ceased being able to have any visibility of any kind. They had no idea where the water ended and the land began. They had no idea of direction of which way they were headed. 
And sure enough, what they feared would happen, happened. This crew ran aground. They couldn't see clearly. They couldn't see the coast. They couldn't see the direction that they were headed in. And it ran them aground. You're going to see some images on your screen uh, of the Edward Bolin to this very day. It's completely landlocked. In fact, the, the, the beach and the land has completely engulfed that ship. And it's one of the craziest sights you'll see. A complete 300-foot ocean freighter completely landlocked on the beach. It's an amazing sight because that ship has no purpose anymore, does it? Ships are meant to exist on the ocean. They're meant to exist on the water, a ship in the middle of a beach is stranded. It's a pretty good illustration for us as believers in the topic that Jesus is talking to us about here today. He is calling us as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have got to work together for the good of one another so that we can see clearly through the difficulties and the sin that enters our lives. And just like a crew on a ship A Christian congregation must be accountable, must be willing in love to work with one another and to be able to point out danger lest we run aground. And so our theme this morning is going to simply be that, that we want to be able to navigate this life. We want to be able to see clearly. Jesus helps us do that. And he also puts brothers and sisters into our lives in order to help us do that. So our theme is going to simply be that, that we need to see clearly. And I want to break it down into three different areas. Uh, We need to see each other clearly. We need to see um, people clearly, see each other clearly. Second one is we need to see the situation clearly. So understand what is happening or what isn't happening. And lastly, we need to see living clearly. So we need to put this into practice in, in a living, breathing congregation and life together. And so those are the three areas of, uh, of our text that we're going to want to look at. And maybe just before we begin, we talk a little bit about that concept of accountability. I think that's a difficult one for us within our American society to grab a hold of because as soon as I start bringing up that concept of accountability, in fact, maybe some of you, even as you're listening to this sermon, almost started to recoil just a little bit. Because if you're anything like me, we, we, want, um, we think we want as little accountability as possible in our lives. And we kind of, we kind of gloss over that or, or we use the cover of freedom, right? We want freedom. We don't want to be accountable to anyone. We don't have to answer to anyone. We want our complete and full freedom in this life. That's what we claim we want. And yet, I think we don't have to dig very deep to understand how disastrous that can be. Um, that's, that's an incredibly disastrous thing uh, to have zero accountability. Think if you have zero account- accountability in your family. Think if you have zero accountability at your workplace. Think if you have zero accountability on a sports team. How well are you going to be, be able to do? How cohesive will that unit be? It won't be. We think about, about the, the willingness of family members to step up and point out sin and, and, and out of love help one another and how important that is for a strong family unit. Think about that at work. If you don't have any accountability in the job that you work, you may have an internal engine that is going to cause you to continue working hard. But if there's zero accountability to, for certain dates and for certain um, requirements, how easily we can slip into simply 
not doing anything at all. You think about that in a sports team, how disastrous. You'll have two sports teams that'll come head to head. One seems to crumble under pressure. The other seems to to gravitate to one another and actually step up and elevate their play to a level that they didn't even know they could do. It's because they had a level of accountability to one another, that they cared enough about each other to hold each other accountable. And so I think on some level, we understand how important a degree of accountability is in almost every situation in our life. And so it's no different within a Christian congregation. If we want to accomplish our goal and our mission and our vision, if we want to to stay on task for the destination that we're headed of eternity, there has to be accountability amongst us as brothers and sisters. That's the topic that we want to look at here today. And it's not a topic that Jesus shied away from. That concept of accountability, that, that idea of being able to point out sin and even at times confront people with that sin. Because think through Jesus' ministry. Think of all the times that he was uh, absolutely willing to call out, call out sin in the people that he ministered to and worked with. Um, and it's really fascinating because Jesus' willingness to do that really didn't know any bounds. He, he pointed out sin in complete strangers. He pointed out sin in people that were, at least in an earthly sense, um, in a higher uh, hierarchy than him, in Pharisees and Sadducees within the religious community. And lastly, he pointed out sin in his best friends, in his disciples, in his followers. Jesus' ministry, he did all of those things. We think about the Samaritan woman uh, at the well. Jesus comes to her and, and he brings to her what she needs the most, which is living water and forgiveness of sins. But when Jesus finds out that she is living in an adulterous situation, what does he do? He points it out. Right? He points out exactly the sin that was blinding her to the living water that he was offering to her. Uh, When Jesus encounters the adulterous woman in Jerusalem, when she is being stoned, Jesus helps her and, and sends her on her way and says to her, go and sin no more. He didn't just pretend that that sin didn't exist within her life. He actually confronted her with it because that sin was clouding her view of him and the forgiveness that she had in him. Those Pharisees who were willing to throw stones at that adulterous woman in Jerusalem, Those Pharisees Jesus came to and said, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And all of them dropped their stones and went away because they knew exactly how sinful they were. In fact, those same Pharisees, Jesus at times had called a brood of viper snakes. Other times he had called them whitewashed tombs, that they were clean and shiny on the outside, but inside they held death. See, Jesus was not afraid to confront sin in those that were above him. But the last one, he also wasn't afraid to confront sin in people that he loved and considered friends. Think of how often Jesus rebuked his own disciples. When they were holding back mothers and children from reaching Jesus, Jesus actually scolded his disciples and says, The kingdom of heaven is for such as these, these kids, these infants. You don't hold them back. When Peter suggests to Jesus that maybe there's another path for his salvation and his ministry, maybe a a, a different path, a path that doesn't lead to death on the cross, what does Jesus say to his own disciple Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. When Peter claims, I am going to fight to my death for you, Jesus, 
Jesus says to Peter, no, in fact, you won't. You'll disown me. And so Jesus was unafraid to hold people accountable. And Jesus was unafraid to point out sin. But the real important reason and motivation for him doing that, I think is the thing that we need to examine for ourselves as well. What motivated Jesus to hold people accountable and to point out their sin? Well, the short answer to that is love. In fact, the very beginning of our text leading into the meat of our text here today, we get the the scene is set exactly what motivates Jesus. His motivation is love. Love for you, love for your family, and love for people. It says this in verse 12. Jesus says, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If we ever doubt Jesus' motivation for holding us accountable, we read portions of scripture like this. If we ever doubt Jesus' motivation for us, we look to the cross and the fact that he was willing to die for you for our sins, for the times that we hold anger against people, the times that we refuse to forgive, even when people ask for our forgiveness, the grudges that we, that we, we pack down into our hearts, sometimes for years or even a lifetime, for the gossip that comes out of our mouth, the times when, when we try to get people around us to be on our side for the detriment of someone else, whether that's in the church, in the workplace, or even in your own homes, the verbal manipulation that we are willing to do to put ourselves in the best light and put someone else in the worst light. All of the sins that we commit, all of the sins that we ought to be confronted with, Jesus is unafraid to confront us with. And here's the really sobering part of that. If Jesus was willing to hold strangers, Pharisees, and his disciples accountable, don't you think that he'll hold us accountable as well? And the truth is he will, and he does. Christ sees the inner motivations of our hearts. He sees through the facade, the words, the lip service, the images we put up on social media, the things we project to some people, which is different to other people, Brothers and sisters, let's not fool ourselves. Christ sees through it. And on some level, that may be a scary thing for us to think through. But not when we understand who is seen through us. It's Jesus. It's your Lord and Savior. He may see through our facades, and yet he died for us anyway. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. And so... He is unafraid to hold us accountable because he held himself accountable, because he laid down his life on the cross to wash our sins clean. Every last one of them, all of the skeletons in our closet, even the ones that we do not want to admit to ourselves, Christ died on the cross for. So we need never doubt his motivation of holding us accountable because it is purely from a place of love. Jesus looks at us, looks at you, and said, I love them so much. I will give my life in place for them. I will die for you so your sins are washed clean. 
And that's a really important thing, I think, for us to remember as believers. If we want to uh, have any chance of holding each other accountable, our motivation can't be anything other than the motivation Christ had. It has to be love. Love of every single human being, every life that is in front of us, and every soul that is presented before us, including our own. Love must be our motivation. Um, If we want to see clearly, we must see each other clearly and ourselves, just as Christ does, as redeemed children of God. And so that's our very first point. We've got to see each other clearly. That takes a level of honesty, transparency, as we look at our own sinfulness. Um, And it also takes a level of honesty and transparency as we look to guide and help one another on our path to eternity. And that kind of brings us to the meat of our section here today. We actually, we need to see that situation clearly, which is not as easy as it may sound. Because having all of the information and and knowing exactly what's happening in the life of a brother or a sister in Christ, knowing exactly what's going on behind the scenes or underneath the surface is not as easy as it may sound. And so Jesus gives us really wonderful practical advice for us to follow as brothers and sisters in Christ in order to see the situation clearly. Now, before we jump into that, um, there are three things that Jesus is not talking about and conversely, in a positive sense, is talking about. And I think we need to at least talk about these before we jump into the meat of our text. So um, there's three things that we've got to know from the context in which Jesus is saying these things. Um, Number one, when he talks to us about pointing out sin in others, uh, he is not talking to unbelievers. So he is not talking about us at work and someone that does not know Christ, about us running around pointing out how sinful they are in their life. And on some level, it doesn't, that doesn't even make sense, does it? Because they don't know who Jesus is. Their hearts have not been changed by the Holy Spirit. And so how can we point out sin without hearts that have been regenerated to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? So when he gives us this advice about pointing out sin in our brothers and sisters, he is talking about the body of believers, not unbelievers that are in your life or within your family. He's talking about us as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ who already know Jesus. So he's not talking about pointing out sin in unbelievers. What he conversely would remind us to do is to continue sharing Christ and Jesus' grace with those unbelievers. So that's the first one. Uh, The second one is Jesus isn't talking about just personality conflicts. Uh, There are people within our church, within your church, wherever you happen to be, where you are just going to have some personality conflicts. There are people that you click with better than others. That is not necessarily sinful. That is not necessarily wrong. That just makes us different people. There are qualities that you appreciate in some people and certain qualities that maybe you don't like quite so much. These are personality conflicts but not necessarily sin. And so Jesus is not talking about um, simply getting along with everybody. Everyone at church is not going to be your best friend. There will be people that are best friends. There are going to be people that are going to be dear friends. But Jesus is not talking about personality conflicts here. But what he does talk about and is talking about is a level of respect for one another. You may not necessarily click with every single person, every brother and sister in Christ in your congregation, 
But as believers, we ought to have a level of respect for one another, respect and love. Okay, so that's the second one. Uh, the third one um, is just that it is not our job to ferret out and hunt down sin. I had a professor at the seminary that once said, uh, told us young men, he said, you're going to have plenty of sin. You're going to find plenty of sin without you going off hunting and rooting around for it. And I think that's true for us as believers. If I look into my own heart, I know how sinful I am. And it would not be very hard for somebody to find sin um, every minute, every hour of every day. And so Jesus is not telling us that we are some kind of sin bounty hunters trying to ferret it out in every single person and every brother and sister in Christ within our congregation. But he is saying that we ought not to shy away from pointing out sins that are going to lead us or lead a brother and sister in Christ away from Jesus. Okay? So I think those are at least three things that Jesus isn't talking about, maybe three positive sides of it. Um, then ultimately, he gives us some really incredible words to be able to work through sin within our lives and in the lives of the people that we care about within our congregation. So let me read for you verses 15 through 17. Jesus says this to us, to you. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So three steps. Three things that Jesus patiently wants us to work through. And I think they kind of lay out in in three different areas. Uh, Christ wants us to deal with each other in these ways. He wants us to deal with each other privately, carefully, and ultimately compassionately. So those three things, privately, carefully, and compassionately. And you can see that in all three, in all of these texts that we just read and these verses that we just read. The first one is privately. Jesus urges us to go to that brother or sister in private, which is remarkably hard to do, isn't it? It's hard enough if you see somebody falling into sin, into a sin that is slowly driving them away from Christ and the love he has, driving them away from their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's hard enough confronting that that at times I think we try to take a shortcut. So in, in, instead of going to talk to that person privately and in person and saying, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about this sin. I'm worried that it's clouding your vision of, of who Christ is and the path that you're on. Instead of going to them in person, far too often we're tempted to talk to everybody else. Did you notice so-and-so doing this? This person over there, Right? Did you see what they didn't do? Haven't showed up at church in a while, right? Huh? I mean, we're so tempted to talk to everyone else besides the person that we actually see the issue in. And we tend to do it quite publicly. We do it through gossip. We do it through um, fostering divisiveness, getting people on our side against someone that may be sinning or in sin. And what does Jesus say? Go to them privately, right? Don't go talk to your pastor about the problem that so-and-so has. Go talk to them in person, 
right? And there may come a time where the pastor needs to go talk to them, but have you talked to them personally, one-on-one, in love, with respect and humility? It's the first step, Jesus says, right? Go to that person one-on-one. Uh, there's a, an author named Brene Brown, which some of you have maybe read some of her books, uh, but I heard a really fascinating quote from her recently that it's much harder to hate people close up, which I think is pretty uh, fantastic quote. And I think Jesus is saying that very same thing for us as well. Let's go to people close up. Let's come to them privately and point out the concerns that we might have. So the first one is we want to do that correction out of love. We want to do it in private. But maybe it doesn't have any effect, right? In fact, maybe you go to that person in private and their first reaction is actually to point out all the hypocrisy that you have in your life, all the sin that you have in your life and the things that you haven't done and and, and to start kind of come back at you with all the things and the problems that you have, right? And on some level, maybe that's our natural reaction is to push back. And say, well, you're not so perfect yourself. That's why Jesus tells us we need to do it carefully. In fact, he says in our next verse, he says, bring two or three others along with you. And all he's talking about there is further accountability. So if we see sin in somebody that we care about, maybe we don't have all the information. Maybe we don't maybe we're so close to the situation that we aren't able to see it clearly, right? Maybe we love and care about that person so much, in fact, that that it's clouding our view of what they are doing or not doing. And so what does Jesus say? He says, go to someone that you trust. Not necessarily someone that's just going to say exactly what you want to hear, but somebody that you trust. Someone who is faithful to God's word, who demonstrates that in their living, um, who is, is measured and loving and is going to, to help you see that situation clearly. And so Jesus says, find brothers and sisters in Christ and bring them along. Let them push back. Am I seeing this clearly? Is this sin or am I overreacting, right? And so we, we let iron sharpen iron and we let... Um, um, fellow Christians help us see things clearly. But then, even if that doesn't work, ultimately, throughout all of this, we deal with them compassionately, right? It says, if they won't listen in private and they won't listen when two or three others come, well, then we bring it to the church. Because at some point, it is, it is a lack of compassion if we as a congregation don't say or do something. If, if a believer, if a brother and sister in Christ is going their own way, is following sin to such an extent that they say that they want nothing to do with God, they want nothing to do with their brothers and sisters in Christ, and that in fact they do not care what God says about this situation. If we see, if we see a Christian life that is headed for a shipwreck, then as a congregation... It is our responsibility to say something, right? To say something. And our text maybe even sounds a little bit harsh. It says, if they refused even to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Um, Just keep in mind, how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? That's right. He shared the gospel with them, right? But what this is telling us as a congregation is if, it's, if somebody refuses Christ, does not want to be a Christian, and has refused God's love in their lives, then we simply recognize that fact. And yet, in compassion, 
We never seek trying to share the gospel with them. Because the end goal of all of this that Jesus has put in front of us is to win our brother and sister back. It never is to to arrogantly push them aside. It never is to win a battle just for our own sake. It never is to, to drive a wedge between people. The whole point of this, brothers and sisters, is order for us to win each other back in love. We deal with one another the very same way that Jesus deals with us. In love, he does everything that is necessary to win us back, to help us see him clearly. I think it's vitally important for a congregation to be willing to do that for one another, to do that in humility, to do that with respect, but to do it, right? Which brings us to our last point. Uh, that we want to see living clearly. Because if, if um, we are unwilling to point out sin in others and in ourselves and uh, ask for forgiveness from that sin in ourselves, we have no hope of living life as, a, as believers or living life clearly. And that's incredibly important, right? And so we, we work through these things as brothers and sisters in Christ privately, carefully, and compassionately. But the really beautiful thing is, we do it together. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that maybe not many of you, maybe not many of us are sailors or have been on a ship uh, and and understood the the level of commitment it takes to simply be part of a crew out in the ocean. But that's actually a really remarkable illustration for a Christian church. In fact, some of the earliest illustrations of church of a congregation is the image of a ship, right? In fact, uh, if you are watching this online, you may not be there, um, but if you are in a congregation where the, the congregation sits is called the nave, and that word nave comes from the Latin word novice, which actually means ship. And so if, if you are sitting within a church, you are part of the crew of a ship, And that's a beautiful image for us as a Christian congregation because life is not easy. And navigating and sailing the oceans of this life until eternity is a harsh environment. And so God has put brothers and sisters around us to be able to do that together, to work together with one another out of love to keep us on track towards eternity and seeing Christ clearly. Jesus was unafraid to do that, to hold people accountable. He calls on us as believers to do the very same thing. But he doesn't leave us without a promise. Listen to the last verse of our text. Jesus says this, For where two or three gather together in my name, there am I with them. And that's the comfort we have, brothers and sisters. In fact, that's why we come together as a congregation. It's not to promote a brand. It's not to open up um, new institutions. We come together as a congregation in order to be with one another and to know that Christ is with us on this journey to eternity. As we do that, let's help one another see Christ clearly. Let's do that with compassion and with love. Let's work together Uh, with the motivation of knowing that our sins are forgiven. Let's do that um, as a congregation, as a crew, as we navigate towards eternity. Amen.